in a world where everyone knows everything. <laughs> yeah, right. One dad stands below everyone and yells, I know nothing. Please welcome. Please welcome. This is the Dad Who Knows Nothing podcast. Well, hey, everyone. This is the Dad Who Knows Nothing podcast. Very honored to have Lance Belene with us today. He is a certified financial planner. He's done that for over 20 years. But recently, probably about five or, five or so years ago, he decided to pivot to really focus on helping giving people strategies uh, for dealing with reducing the amount of tax that they owe to the IRS. So being able to keep more of their money in their pockets for future generations, for things that they want to do with it, with proven strategies that he's found in his career to be able to lower the tax burden uh, for each and every one of us. So I thought he'd be great guest to have on because tax time is always a, a fun time and a stressful time for all of us. And I use fun with air quotes. So uh, always happy to talk to experts to help us out in, in this field of, uh, you know, keep making sure that we have taxes and pay the right amount of taxes to the IRS and keep as much in our pocket as we can. So Lance, awesome to have you with me. Thanks for giving me a few minutes of your time. Thank you, Dana, for having me. Pleasure. Looking forward to it. So Lance, can you talk me through a little bit of how you came to this, to this uh, goal of trying to help other people to learn from the things that you've learned over your 20 years of experience to really allow them to focus on keeping more of their money in their pocket versus paying taxes to the IRS? Yeah, uh, it, 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 I kind of had an aha experience. Uh, if we go back, back up a little bit, when I was age 37, I formed a, a mastermind or a think tank, a study group, however you call it, with other financial certified financial planners throughout the U.S. And uh, my goal with that, I me mean, not necessarily being the smartest cat in the room on all topics, is like, how can we share best practices, ideas, concepts, uh, investment strategies, tax strategies, so that we deliver right a, a better experience uh, for our clients? And so, uh, through the uh, the financial planning board, I was able to identify other advisors. I just, in essence, really co-called them and shared with them my vision. And from that, there's uh, advisors from LA, Seattle, Minneapolis, Denver, and Nashville. And, and so from since then, uh, we've been sharing best practices and ideas. And actually, one of our initial meetings was a guy from uh, Seattle, Rich Stewart, kind of made a comment. Uh, up on a whiteboard when we were sharing ideas, he goes, I'm going to show you guys how to take money out of an IRA and not pay taxes on it. And I was like, I, I don't think you can do that. Right. I mean, it's one of these aha experiences. And I don't know, Dana, if you've ever had that in life where you think you're kind of knowledgeable, well-informed, but then you get your mind blown uh, by something. Yeah, absolutely have. And uh, so, so it sounds like with this group of individuals that you've had, come together. It's really good because they're all over the country and they can really keep their, keep an eye on things that change as far as tax administration and tax law and things like that. Yeah. And for some reason in the financial world, uh, at least locally, the people in the industry don't speak to it, don't talk to each other and share best practices and ideas and concepts. And I guess it's because they're quote competition, 
Uh, I do not know for sure, but it just doesn't happen very much. And so what I find is many financial professionals act as in, under a silo, and they're only getting information maybe from what they read or from what they take in or on the internet, but they're not getting it. Uh, you know, it's limited because of that. And so I wanted just to expand our horizon and uh, not be limited to just my way of thinking and get challenged by other, you know, financial professionals that I respect. And so it was by far one of the best business decisions I made in my career. Uh, you know, prior to that, let's just say from right out of college up until that time, I was, I was just your traditional, I would say financial professional that was helping people grow wealth, uh, helping them try to make good financial decisions. Uh, but I wasn't thinking with the end in mind. I was just thinking about saving at the current day. But what I, the aha experience that I had when I, I mean, early on in my, when I formed that study group by Rich, is he was like, we need to think about the distribution strategies at the beginning. Like, how are we going to get our income in the future when we're 22 or 23 or 24, right? Uh, and so I was just saving traditional way of thinking is save, 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 and not thinking about the tax ramifications necessarily that that was going to have during my retirement years. No, that makes sense. So, you know, especially when you were probably being judged by your clients by how much of a return or how their actual portfolio was growing year over year versus what you may be doing 10, 15 years down the road. So it makes sense that that is not the typical way that financial planners are looking at things. Right. So let's get, let's get right into it, Lance. How do I reduce or eliminate the amount of taxes I pay to the IRS? Yeah. So what we have to change our mentality for that is a little bit of a change of thinking. Uh, the tax code is designed why we're accumulating wealth, right? When you're accumulating wealth, like you and I are currently doing, in general, you everybody is trying to make as much income as possible, right? That's kind of the goal. The more income you make, generally, the better lifestyle you can have for your family, the more you can save, you know, for future retirement, et cetera. And so the tax code is set up not necessarily to uh, help us uh, pay less taxes during our accumulation years. It's really in our distribution years when we can take advantage of uh, the tax code. And there's a, what's called a, not to get in the weeds on, on taxes, I don't want to bore your audience, but there is a 0% tax rate out there that you don't know that exists right now, probably. And that I didn't know it, that existed until I was exposed to this, you know, you know, about 13 or 14 years ago. And that 0% zero, zero tax rate exists for individuals who are in the 12% income bracket or below. All right. And that's for capital gains and dividends. And the reason I would say you don't necessarily want to qualify for that while you're accumulating wealth is because that the top of the 12% income bracket is $83,550 married, filing, joint. So a person would only benefit from the 0% tax rate if their income is less than that. And don't know everybody, all the listeners, but I would I was a betting man, I'd say most people, if they're married, finally joint, would like to make more, you know, than that. And so, but, but picture this, let's say that you fast forward in retirement, okay? I, I'm now no longer collecting my W-2 income or my self-employment income. 
What if we could give you, show you an example of how we could give you $120,000 to live off of, and you only pay $1,410 in taxes? Right? It'd be pretty awesome, right? And not go to jail, of course, right? Has right. To be a- of course, that's, that's, that's the key part. <laughs> so in order to do that, you have to have your wealth located in different categories because they're how the tax code works. So there's three categories that you can accumulate wealth in and then receive income from in retirement. The first is what I call bucket one. And that bucket one is your pre-tax bucket. It's money that you put in up front and you lowered your income and then it was never been taxed. But when you retire, right, or when you need it, that's when Uncle Sam gets to tax it as income. Uh, examples would be probably listeners would know, you would know like a, a, a 401k, uh, an individual retirement account, an IRA, uh, deferred compensation plans, right? And for corporations, sometimes uh, for their higher income earners. Uh, that would that'd be an example of bucket one. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Bucket two is what I call your after-tax uh, bucket. It's money that I, I, I received, I got deposited in my checking account. Let's say I got a bonus if I, you know, a corporate person and I, it's, I don't need it. I'm not going to spend it. So I invest it. I buy a stock, a bond, a mutual fund, real estate. You know, all those would uh, category, be in that category. And that money is hopefully I make a profit, Right. And I get what's called capital gains tax uh, on that money. So uh, again, there's three tax rates for that. There's 0%, 15%, and 20%. And so we're, we're used to that. And you, that money is liquid. That money is accessible. We don't have to wait till 59 and a half to get it. Uh, and so you know that money, I would say, is, has liquidity, which is the positive, but it's not very tax efficient while we're growing wealth. Does that make sense there? Yes. And then the third bucket is I call your tax-free bucket. That's the opposite of bucket one. It's when I put money in after tax, it grows tax deferred, and then I get it out tax-free. Terminology you might be familiar with is Roth IRA, uh, Roth 401k, uh, health savings accounts kind of uh, in that category. Cash value life insurance would fall into that category. And so... What I'm encouraging people to do is think about how their assets or their investments are located. How much do I have in bucket one? How much do I have in bucket two? How much do I have in bucket three? More importantly, based on how I'm saving, putting how much money I'm putting in each bucket, what's my future value going to be in that bucket? And for simple theories, if we do that, then we can take advantage of how the tax code works to benefit the little guy. So let's go back to this analogy how do I get $120,000 and pay less than you know, $1,500 in taxes? So what I do, let's hypothetically uh, just say I have a million dollars accumulated in each bucket. This is for simplicity. Let's say I take $40,000 or 4% from each bucket, each of my type of accounts. So $40,000 from bucket one, $40,000 from bucket two, and $40,000 from bucket three. That's how I got you to your 120, $120,000. Now, remember, you're no longer working, self-employed or having a W-2. So 
Uncle Sam considers your new W-2 what you withdrew from your bucket one, your taxable investment. That is what they think is going, that's, that counts as your income. So that's $40,000 of income that you have to declare. They allow every taxpayer gets a, a standard deduction. That standard deduction is $25,900. So every taxpayer benefits from this, doesn't matter what you make. So that lowers 40,000 minus 25,900 equals $14,100. That is considered your taxable income. That is less than the, the top of the, the, the $83,550 I mentioned earlier. Right. And because of that, now I qualify for the 0% <clears throat> tax rate from my bucket two investments that I was, no, I was paying 15 or 20% during my accumulation years. And my tax-free investments, the 40,000 for my Roth IRA is tax-free, so I don't have to declare that. So you're only paying income taxes on that $14,100, which is at a 10% rate. And that's how we get to that $1,410. So that's you know a 1.2% tax rate. And if you did that for 10 years, 15 years, you're really moving the needle as far as how much wealth stays with your family versus go to Uncle Sam. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And do you think that today too many people are overly reliant on bucket one for their retirement? They are. I, 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 it's, it's not at their, necessarily at their fault. I have, a, you know, I, I have a chapter in this in my book as far as why is this. Uh, bucket three investments, for example, actually didn't become, I would say, a category until 1996. So that's not in a history. That's not too long ago. And that's when Senator Roth from Arizona created the Roth IRA. The problem with, with that, I don't know if you recall, but there was contribution limits. At that time, it was $500. And so a person could only contribute $500, and there was income limits. If you made it over a certain amount, you couldn't even contribute. And so at the beginning, it, you know, I would have clients go, is $500 really worth it? Yeah, is that going to how much is that going to grow to 20 years from now? And well, it's not a lot. And it's like, well, it is kind of being the hassle. And even though now those contribution limits have increased over time, it's still, you know, $5,500 is, you know, right now the contribution limit. So, you know, it's a shorter time frame that we've had access to it. And what, what the big uh, miss, uh, missed opportunity for many companies, though, is in, in 2000, Companies, publicly traded companies, could ad, could amend their plan to offer a Roth 401k feature. So it had given an employee an option: put money pre-tax or put money post-tax. But guess what? Companies didn't adopt it. They weren't soon to adopt it because of the added administration expense they were going to have to pay to keep track of these two types of monies. For example, I live in uh, Northwest Arkansas, right? Walmart's home office is in Bentonville. 2020 is when they added the Roth feature to their retirement plan. 20 years after, they could have. And so many individuals weren't, had a, you know, one, weren't aware that if their co the companies wasn't allowing them to contribute to a Roth, right? And so they didn't know they could because they didn't amend their plans. And so uh, those are kind of the two major reasons, I think, that you know, people are behind a little bit on bucket three. And again, cash value life insurance has been around forever, but 
I would say if we sit down in a room with three or four or five financial advisors, half might be for it, half might be against it, right? It's never been one of those like, oh, this is a no brainer. So because of that, it's a little, you know, less of a, a trusted financial vehicle, right? So what are the arguments for and against the cash value life insurance? Well, if, if I was a proponent for, I would say that there is no contribution limits. There's no income limits, meaning it doesn't matter what I make, I can contribute. Uh, I have access to that cash value prior to 59 and a half. So I don't have to wait until my uh, IRA and Roth IRA money is available. Uh, I can receive money out of that via loans tax-free. And so that would be my, you know, proponents, if I was debating against it, I'd say, hey, so there's some internal cost of the policy and, and the, the fees that I would not have if I invested outside of a life policy. Uh, the complexity of understanding the strategy makes it, you know, is another argument that you'd be against. It's just, it's not clear cut. And sometimes the policies are not designed by the agent or advisor to maximize accumulation. Sometimes they're designed to maximize the commissions. Mm. And so that it would be another you know, potential negative is what is the, is the advisor really designing the policy the right way? And unfortunately, you know, sometimes it's not. You mentioned the loan piece, and I know that that's something that uh, people will sometimes take loans out of their 401k. Do you have that capability of doing that with a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA? Uh-huh. Yes, you do. Yeah. Okay. And, and really, I, I, let me just preference a Roth 401k, right, Is a, a, a versus a pre-tax 401k. If a company a plan allows for loan provisions, it doesn't matter, you know, which that money is oh, okay, gotcha. uh, uh, coming from. Uh, and Roth IRAs and individual IRAs, you can't loan yourself money. Uh, but with the Roth, you can take out equal to your principal, meaning if you put in $5,000 for five years, so that's $25,000, you can take that money out prior to 59 and a half without penalty. Uh, but you can't loan yourself, you know, mm. any of your earnings. Gotcha. You just wouldn't be able to take any of the gains out without penalty. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. So let's talk about doing your taxes then. Is there a, a strategy that you like to work with your clients on to, because everybody wants this financial independence, right? And you have different strategies. Everybody's got a strategy for financial independence, uh, real estate, investments, all those types of things. Talk to me about strategies regarding doing your taxes and how it relates to financial independence. You bet. So the strategy for you, for example, uh, I don't know you in detail, but having your own podcast, you are, have a self, you're self-employed, right? I uh, have some self-employment income. Whenever you have self-employment income, you have many more avenues to reduce your tax liability than if you're a W-2 employee. If you, for your listeners that are a W-2 employee, I wish I could give you some great advice. That would be an aha experience, but there's really just not uh, very much avenues to do that. 
But when you're self-employed, one of the easiest things I, I would uh, encourage clients to that, that are not doing it for some reason, very much uh, high percentage of the time, is if you have children of age that you can validate a job description. Uh, for you, it might be marketing your podcast, right? It could be your social media director. Uh, you can pay your children up to 12, their standard deduction, remember we, the, for a single person is $12,950. So I put my child on payroll. I pay them $12,950. They get a deduction of $12,950. So their taxable income is zero. So I now just transitioned money to uh, $12,950 that was getting taxed at your rate right, to the 0% rate. And then that money goes into a checking account, right, for them. And then you use that money to pay for their lifestyle expenditures, their clothes, their travel, their hobbies, right, their travel, you know, you know, I have friends that have a lot of kids in travel sports, right, and they're traveling all over the place and spending money. And so you, for vacation, so you use that money to pay for those lifestyle expenses that you are going to spend any, uh, anyway. And another strategy you could do is if you're saving for your children's education, right? Why don't you take some of that money, right? That's taxed at 0% and then you put it in the 529 plan for your children. And then that grows tax deferred and tax-free when used for education. So that would be an easy, kind of my uh, top of line, like not every self-employed individual has children of age that they can do that, implement that strategy. But if you do have children of that age, which when we talked in previously a little bit, getting to know each other, you do. So it worked perfect for you. Can you define of age? Well, everybody has a little, it's, it depends how gray you want to be, right? Uh, but let's probably say, I would say I can find legitimate job descriptions for my 10-year-old, especially if it's internet-based, right? Because they're all over, you know. They, I can say, hey, I need you to do uh, uh, so many uh, tweets a week for my social, for my podcast, uh, social uh, Instagram posts, right? Things like that. So if they're coming in and taking out the trash, that's a job description, but you might get challenged if that was worth $12,950 in a year. Right, right. But Got it. I don't know about you. I have a cleaning company with my, you know, so that you know, cleans my office and, I could, you know, probably come up with a six thousand uh, dollar, you know, year description for my child if they're a little younger. Six thousand, it's anything's better than uh, nothing, I'd say. But generally, I'd say ten age, age ten and up. And that doesn't have to be deposited in one lump sum. It can be given to them as a salary monthly or something like that as well. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Easy for counting purposes is just do it one time, right? So you're not, right. it's, it's, it's totally up to, uh, to each individual how they do that. And then, and then another side of uh, benefit is you're teaching your children about finances a little mm -hmm. bit, right? <clears throat> and walking them through why we're doing this. Uh, and, you know, it's just to take advantage, it's to, to teach them good life skills as far as their finances, but also so that Uncle Sam's not taxing that income. Does that uh, eliminate the ability to use them as to have them as a dependent when you file taxes? No. Because that limit still allows them to be a dependent on someone else's taxes while they still can 
claim that deduction. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind yeah. of your, I guess, if you would say an easy low-lying fruit that I see is not utilized. I do not know why CPAs are not more proactive with that mm. idea. Uh, but I, I kind of feel a little bit like that in industry, the CPA industry is a little reactive versus proactive. Uh, they, they usually don't get involved until March or April of the following year. And all the financial decisions or strategies that could have lowered your taxes need to be made right in the pre previous year. Right, right. Uh, so I don't know. It's something I, uh, I have a partnership with the CPA for over 20 years. And that's one of our kind of, I'd say, our core values is we wanted to be proactive uh, and to facilitating discussions to combine financial strategies and investment strategies with tax strategies to lower the amount of taxes our clients pay in retirement years. Uh, and I say retirement years, Dana, because I want as, as stress this, I want your, any of your listeners just to Google this historical federal tax rates. And I think they're going to be shocked. We, we have, I know people probably listening feel that they pay a high amount of taxes. I don't know about you, right? But you say, ah, I like to pay less taxes. And I agree, but we are actually in the last 20 years been in a historical low tax rate environment. In our government's history, we've had a 90% tax rate before. We've had 70% tax rates, 50% just dating back into the 80s. And I'm not an economist. I'm not going to try to forecast what's going to happen, but just my simple mind says our federal government is deficit, right? Continues to get out of the whack. Our government programs like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, right, are underfunded and mathematically are, are eventually are going to be insolvent. And so the government is going to have to make a decision. Politicians are either going to have to decrease expenses, which means take away government programs, or they're going to increase revenue. And so you increase revenue by increasing taxes. I don't know what will happen, but I would like to position. Uh, so I, I'm kind of in the mentality that if tax rates are higher in the future, then if I did all my savings in bucket one, right, save taxes today, then maybe I could be, I'm at the mercy of what the tax code is 20 years from now. Right. And if taxes rates are higher, then I pay, I, that, that worked against me. Right. You could have taken the taxes then and put that in the bucket three and it would have yeah. been more advantageous. So one, one last question about the uh, scenario you gave for that uh, or saving taxes. If you own your own business, does it matter the type of business that it is LLC S corp partnership, any of that? Yeah. A great question. And I'm glad you brought that up. That would be my number two. Uh, you know, make sure that it's uh, you know, whether it's an LLC, but it needs to be an S corp. And an S-Corp is because you can pay yourself a salary. And that salary is, uh, at, let's say if you're getting your income is $120,000, you pay your salary without it being an S-Corp, you would pay Social Security and Medicare pay taxes on all of that income, all of, mm -hmm. all of the 120,000. But if you're an S-Corp and you pay your salary of, let's say 40,000, and then you take distributions or get the rest of your income, 80,000 via distributions, 
you're only paying Social Security on that 40,000. Right. That's a huge saving. So you're at 7.95%, really times two, because you're self-employed. So if you just do the math, if you're saving 15% on, let's just say 100,000, that's 15,000 of tax savings a year. Right. And then you have those situations where a lot of companies, when they're in the startup phase, right, there's, they're usually generating loss and, and the S corp is you can, you can use that to reduce your individual income. If it's based on how much you've invested into that S corp, that's basically how they, how they utilize that. Yeah. Great point. All right. So, um, are there any other ways that someone when they're in retirement can pay less taxes? Again, I went to, I would just stress asset location. It has the largest influence, whether you're going to pay less taxes in retirement. If you had hypothetically, it's just easy math. Again, let's go to the, let's say a hundred thousand dollar income. And if I had all my money in bucket one, and that's where I'm going to get my income. I would have to withdraw like 130,000 in order to net 100. Right. right? I, I'm totally at the mercy of the tax code in the future. And guess what? I never qualify for that 0% tax rate because Uncle Sam views my taxable income, right, as 130 minus the standard deduction. So roughly 105,000. And so I never will get to benefit from the 0% tax rate that exists for my bucket two money. And so I think. The asset location is the key for lowering the amount of taxes you pay in your retirement years. And it starts at the accumulation phase. You have to think with the end in mind. Think about the end in mind versus the now, right? Because if we just keep focused on the now, how do I pay tax less taxes only this year in 2022? You're going to miss the big picture and you're going to pay more taxes over your lifetime. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So anything with the most recent tax structure that's, that's been put in place that any interesting things that you have found in navigating that and advising your clients, any other pearls of tax wisdom? (laughs) You know, not nothing that nothing that stands out, nothing that moves the needle. Uh, you know, the build back at America uh, that Biden had proposed, if that would have gotten in, implemented, that was going to have some major ramifications. Uh, uh, very pleased that that didn't get uh, done. And so and I really feel there's not going to be any other tax changes over the next two years because it looks like right for midterm elections, they're gonna have kind of a split and bipartisan, part, right? It, it, Biden, whether you're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter, but generally when you have a majority uh, and the Democrat president and then the Republicans are controlling the House and the Senate, there's kind of gridlock, right? There's nothing that really gets done and vice versa. So I don't really don't see any significant changes over the next two years. Got it. So if there was one, if there was a couple things, one or two things that you'd like my listeners to kind of take away from this discussion with, oh, wait, before we do that, let's talk about the book. So tell me how the book started. Oh, tell me how uh, you got the book. 
Yeah, I had a, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like running a marathon. You, you know, I, I never thought I would be able to do it, right? And so, but I took a sabbatical, took four months off last year when I turned 50. And I, it was the time just to reflect life. I want to be more intentional with my family. Uh, but I also gave me time to think uh, and, and put this together. And so it came about that. My purpose in writing it is like, I, I want to give people, as help as many people, uh, go from good to great with their finances. And I find that doing by decreasing the amount of impact that Uncle Sam has on their life moves the needle the, uh, the most. And so, you know, I just felt convicted that I need to try to share some of, some of that wisdom. And so, you know, it, the, the bucket strategy, and it goes into more detail what I shared with you. It uh, also has a section for small business owners, but uh, it's called More Wealth, Less Taxes. and uh, has practical time-tested uh, examples. So I'll have a lot of client stories in there, client of, you know, test, not, not necessarily their story, but like, like how they retired and how one person, an example, had $106,000 income and paid $150 in taxes, you know, his first year in retirement. So it's kind of life stories in there so people can relate to those. Uh, it comes out November 15th is when it will hit uh, oh, nice. stores. Uh, it can, you can have pre-orders currently. It's, it's my name, Lance Belline, B-E-L-L-I-N-E.net. And that's uh, the website for the book. And that's how individuals can pre-order. And I also have on my website a resource guy, uh, center that, uh, let's say for you, if you wanted to currently gauge like, well, how much do I have in bucket one and two and three? It's a spreadsheet that helps you right? If you complete it, and then what it will do is it will also forecast your future value of wealth in each of those buckets. And so it's a tool that individuals can use to kind of get their arms around how, how their money is currently uh, located in which asset classes. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty useful tool. I, I, I love it when there are tools from a financial perspective that allow you to forecast things out. There's a lot we don't know, but if you take what you do know, and you kind of can yeah. forecast it out. It can at least give you an idea of where you need to make adjustments in one bucket or another. Yeah, for sure. And I also uh, provided for my mastermind group because uh, I find individuals don't know what questions to ask if they're interviewing a financial advisor, if they're trying to find that. And so it's kind of like me going to the car mechanic and they tell me my felibitator is out or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And so I, my guys in my study group, we created a, a, a like a document of questions that should be asked if you're interviewing a financial firm or advisor. I think that would be a great tool for your listeners potentially as well. Uh, and then the tax facts at a glance, which I kind of went through a lot of different numbers there. I don't want to bore them, but I, I provided kind of a, a tax facts that goes over the how the tax code works and income tax rates and things like that that, that people might find useful. Very cool. So that's LanceBelline.net? Yes, uh, L-A-N-C-E-B-E-L-L-I-N-E. Okay. All right, we'll put that in the show notes so that all the listeners will have that website so they can reach out for those awesome. tools. All right, Lance, so if you had one or two things to stress to my listeners so they could take away from this, what would it be? Uh, save early and save in bucket three. And if you remember, bucket three is after tax. So when you get that money back out at retirement, there's no taxes there for Uncle Sam to take, keeping more yeah. in your pocket. All right, Lance, this was very informative. I appreciate your time. Uh, again, Lance, he's a certified financial planner for over 20 years. 
His book is More Wealth, Less Taxes, Practical Time-Tested Strategies to Keep More of What You Earn and Build Tax-Efficient Wealth for the Future, which I think uh, is everybody's goal if they're trying to uh, get themselves in the best position possible for retirement. So really cool book. We'll look forward to that on November 15th. I'll make sure that we have that in the show notes so they can get some information about that. And we appreciate your time, Lance. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on our journey to learn about various topics. If you'd like to get in touch with the dad who knows nothing, connect with him at the dad who knows nothing on TikTok and Instagram or dad knows zero on Twitter. If you have a moment and you like this episode, drop us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have a great day and enjoy your journey through this game called life. <laughs>